I apologize, our graphics card uh, is needing some updating, and so our sound and our uh, video are not quite synced, but we're working on trying to get that fixed. If you would, turn with me to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10 will be in verse 13 to start off with this morning. Mark chapter 10 and verse 13. You know, one of the greatest privileges and most solemn duties uh, belonging to mankind is is the production and the raising of children. And part of that raising them is raising them in the Lord, and we're going to talk more about that uh, next week. But it seems to me that I'm hearing more and more parents who are willing to take a passive role in that responsibility. Uh, Religious pluralism has so invaded our culture that many parents have decided to allow their children to grow up and make their own religious decisions. So I I don't want to teach them about Christianity because I want them to be able to make their own decisions when they're an adult. And I understand their reasoning, I understand their concern is that they don't want them to just become a Christian because that's what their parents were. Or they don't want them to become a Baptist because that's the way they were raised. They want them to make their own decisions. I understand that. But there's a story about a man who abdicated his spiritual role and decided not to teach his children the ways of God so that he wouldn't prejudice them toward Christianity. One of his sons broke his arm and they had to go to the doctor and uh, have that bone reset, and so while the, uh, while the surgeon was setting the bone, the boy was swearing the whole time, and the good doctor said to the father, I told you what would happen. You were afraid to prejudice your son in the right way, but the devil has no qualms. He's prejudiced him the other way, and I think pretty strongly too. And the point is that it is our duty to prejudice our field in favor of crops and not in favor of thistles. If we don't tend the field, don't pull up the weeds, it's going to grow. And there's a Roman Catholic educator who said, give me a child until he is seven years old, and then I don't care what you do with him. Well, our passage this morning tells us what we should do with children. And the story that we're going to read this morning is recorded in all three of the synoptic gospels. They're called the synoptics because they give a a synopsis or a a brief summary of Jesus' uh, life and ministry here on earth. 
And we're going to look at Mark's passage. Uh, and the way Mark has structured this, it comes fittingly. Uh, Jesus has just been talking about this question of marriage and, and the permanence of marriage. And one of the main reasons for marriage is, uh, one of those is uh, to produce godly offspring. And so uh, Mark follows this with the, this teaching on blessing the children. But I find it interesting that all three of the synoptic uh, authors all position this story right before that of the rich young ruler. So we're going to see how that story also maybe ties in to this as well. And so let's see what God is trying to tell us from the story this morning. But before we go into that, let's go to him in prayer one more time. Father God, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to study your word this morning. Uh, Lord, as we continue to look at this idea of the next generation and our responsibilities as parents, grandparents, and as a church, Lord, that you would speak to us through your word and that we would be um, challenged by it, that we would be humbled by it, and Lord, that we would be encouraged by it in all the right ways. Lord, may your spirit go out amongst your people and work in the hearts and minds of each person here. And may we leave from here empowered and ready to go for the work of serving you. We pray this in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen. Probably a familiar passage. Jesus uh, is blessing the children. So uh, let's just begin in verse 13. And we'll go uh, verse by verse this morning. Uh, So we'll read one verse at a time. Verse 13. Some people were bringing little children to Jesus so he might touch them. But his disciples rebuked them. So let's stop there. Because the first thing that we see already is that we need to be bringing children to Jesus. Bringing children to Jesus. To Jesus. Now, Mark uses a generic word uh, for children here in, in this passage, but Luke uses a different word, so I want us to uh, briefly look at that word. The word there is brephos, which means babies or infants or little children. And so, according to Luke's account, we're looking at maybe up to like four years old, four years old and below. They were carrying them there, and so that's the, that's the children that we have in view here. They're bringing these babies to Jesus. And what is the purpose of the people bringing these babies to Jesus? Well, they want Jesus to touch them. Now, it's customary for a Jewish parent to take their children to the synagogue for blessing. In fact, they would uh, go on the day before the Day of Atonement, and the, the fathers would bring their children into the temple... And they would have them kneel down, and they would place their hands upon them, and they would pray for them that the the atonement that's to be made the next day would be effective for them. Not just effective for the adults, but effective for the children. And so, Matthew tells us that the, the people were coming, and they wanted Jesus to touch their children, but they also wanted him to pray for their children. And so, the same idea that that they're coming to Jesus and they're kneeling before Jesus and and holding out their children and saying, Lord, touch them, bless them, pray for them. 
And so this is the idea that's going on. It's, it's a consistency with this temple blessing. Now, the Jews had a different idea of salvation. They didn't have the same idea of salvation like what we have. And so if we talk about you know, having faith in Christ, they wouldn't have understood that for generations. The way that they understood salvation was that you had to go to the temple and you had to, to have this ceremony where they, they placed the sin symbolically upon an animal and they, they sacrificed and one would go out to be the scapegoat and all this kind of stuff. And so they, they understood salvation differently. They understood it as a communal thing, not as an individual thing. And so they would bring their children to be blessed by the Lord so that they would be protected by Him for their salvation. And they, they wanted their children to be blessed by God with eternal life, and they wanted God to do whatever it was that needed to be done in that child's life so that they would be chased down the right path. Right? It's kind of that going back to that belt idea. Rather than, than this idea that Jesus is providing for them, it's this idea that God is going to provide divine direction by use of, of blessings and punishments to get them down the proper path so that they could do the right works to gain their salvation. Because that's how they understood salvation. Salvation, as far as they understood it, was a work of God leading them to work and, and do good deeds and to go into this temple system to provide for their own salvation. But the problem with that is babies can't do anything, right? They're completely helpless. These infants, these, these little children. Have you ever thought about how different human babies are from, other, from, from animals? Like, if you look at other babies, uh, many animals, when, when they're born, they're able to walk off from nearly the moment they're born, within the day. Uh, there, there was a giraffe that was born at the Fort Worth Zoo uh, recently, and so they've been sending out these emails, and it's this, this big thing, and uh, the, the thing is, this baby giraffe stands at six foot tall uh, and was able to walk within hours of being born, was able to just get up and walk off. But human babies, for a, a, a human baby is lucky and, and, and advanced to be able to walk at nine months old. Usually it's more around the year mark. Uh, they can't feed themselves like some animals are able to do. They, they can't change their own diapers. And normally it takes about two years from the time they're born to learn how to control their bladder and how to control their bowels. So how could they do anything to earn their salvation? The conventional wisdom of Judaism said that these children were religiously inept. They were not able to do anything. And so there was no place for children in their religious system. They had no place before God because... They, they couldn't do the things that were needed to, to gain God's favor. And so these people were bringing the children to Jesus, and his disciples see them bringing these infants. They can't do anything for Jesus, can't do anything for God. And, and they said, well, this is a waste of Jesus' time. He shouldn't be bothered with these infants. They can't do anything to serve him. And so the disciples 
rebuked the parents, rebuked the people that were bringing the children to Jesus. Now, the Greek language is robust, and, and sometimes the, our English doesn't come across quite as strongly as what the Greek word does, uh, but the, the Greek word that's used here is not some kind of gentle rebuke. It's not saying, well, hey guys, I'm sorry, Jesus is busy, can you, can you just move on down that way? The word that's used here as a verb, when it's used as a noun, means punishment. It means punishment. So I don't think they're just giving them a gentle reprimand here, but they're, they're berating them. How dare you come and waste Jesus' time by bringing these infants that can't do anything to Jesus? It seems that the disciples really let these people have it. But we, they were wrong. The disciples were wrong. We'll see that in just a moment. But before we go on to that, I want us to go back to the very beginning of this story. And I want to point out something to you that's easily overlooked. He says, some people were bringing the little children to him. Some people. Notice it doesn't say that it was the parents that were bringing people bringing the infants to children. Now, it's somewhat implied. Maybe I'm taking this a little bit too far here with this, but the, the generic, the, the term that's used there is the generic they. They were bringing them to Jesus. People were bringing the infants to, to Jesus, not necessarily the parents, although I'm sure parents were a part of that group. But some of those were probably not parents. Some of those may have been grandparents bringing their grandchildren. Some of those may have been aunts and uncles bringing their nephews and nieces. Some of those may have been neighbors bringing their, their neighbor's kids. Maybe it was cousins. Maybe it was friends bringing, bringing other children to Jesus. But it wasn't just the parents that were bringing them to Jesus. And I think there's a point here that's easily overlooked because bringing children to Jesus is a job for everyone. It's not just a job for the parents. There's an old saying that says it takes a community, a village, to raise a child. The same is true for us as a church. Bringing children to Jesus is for everybody. You know, some of the greatest ministers never had their own biological children. But they had great ministries amongst children. And I bet... Some of you here know some children that need to be brought to church, that need to be brought to Jesus. So if, if it's everyone's responsibility to bring children to Jesus, then that means it's your responsibility to bring children to Jesus. It means it's your responsibility to find children in the community or children in your family that need to come to church and hear about Jesus. It's your responsibility to witness to them. Because it's not just the parents who are bringing them the children, bringing the children to Jesus. It was the people. Continue on in verse 14. When Jesus saw it, saw that his disciples were rebuking the parents, he was indignant and said to them, Let the little children come to me, don't stop them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. 
And so we're to be bringing children to Jesus, but also Jesus says, let the little children come to me. Let the children come to Jesus. Well, when Jesus saw how the disciples were, were treating the people who were bringing the babies to him, he also responded very strongly. The, the King James Version says that he was much displeased. Our text here says he was indignant. Another version says he was irate. Another version says he was angry with his disciples. He was mad that they were hindering the children coming to him. See, to, to Jesus, these children were not a bother. They were not a nuisance. They were not unimportant. They were not a waste of his time. Jesus loves the little children of the world. He loves them all. And he wants them to come to him. He wants to bless them. And so he says, let the children come to me. Interestingly, and maybe once again I'm taking semantics a little bit too far here, but in Luke 14, Jesus says that they have to compel the adults to come to Jesus. You've got to convince them to come to Jesus. But here he says, just let the little children come to me. Let them. Don't hinder them. But I think, although I may be taking that a little bit too far, I think the point stands because leading an adult to, to come to Christ is much more difficult than leading a child to come to Christ. And, and you may have seen on the video, but the, the most, uh, most Christians come to Christ before they turn 18. And the, the vast majority do so before they turn 13. And statistics show that the older a person grows without becoming a Christian, without accepting Christ, the less likely they are to accept Him. So one of our main strategies as a church should be to reach out to young people for Christ. We need to be offering opportunities to let the children come to Christ. And that conviction is one of the reasons why we've started having the, the children's sermon again. I, I've been very convicted about this, that we're not offering anything except for Sunday school. Normally, churches see the highest number of children come on Wednesday nights. That's kind of a general trend just across the board. They're, the midweek service, for whatever reason, children and youth attendance is the highest. But interestingly, that's not been the case here. Talking with Kevin and Sherry about this, uh, over the past 10 years or so, well, a little bit longer than that now, the, the average attendance has, for children has actually been highest during our Sunday evening services because we had an opportunity for them to come in and, and sing with us, but then they go and do uh, their own time of teaching. And, of course, we were running the vans, and we had people that were uh, back there working and teaching them, but the point stands. I was talking with a, a pastor that's uh, at a smaller church in the Fort Worth area. And uh, they, they've got an interesting idea going on. They're looking to, to hire somebody as a pastoral intern uh, who would basically come in, see what ministries need to be filled, and using their giftedness, fill whatever ministry is needed at the time. And, but the idea that he, he had is... is primarily training new pastors. And he gave this example. He said, in my first church, 
I came, we were having Wednesday evening adult services, and we were having Wednesday evening children's services. We had about 20 adults in the adult service, but we, our children's ministry was struggling. And so as the pastor, I felt it was my responsibility to see what ministries needed addressed in the church and to, to fix, help, help to fill up those ministries, to, to build up those ministries. And so I, he said, I, I turned to the uh, adults one Wednesday night and said, listen, there's about 20 of you in here. I could probably pick about five of you who could stand up and teach this lesson on Wednesday nights. But there's not anybody who's going over and working with the kids. So I'm not going to be teaching on Wednesday nights anymore in here. I'm going to be going over and teaching the youth, and somebody in here needs to step up to teach the adults. Because as a pastor, he said, my job was not to cater to the adults, but to strengthen the ministries of the church that needed to be strengthened. And I, I jokingly told him that maybe I need to tell Mansville the same thing. Maybe Sunday nights, instead of doing our evangelism training, we need to be doing evangelism by having children come and, and sharing the gospel with them. And uh, like I said, I said that jokingly, but as I've reflected on it, maybe it wasn't a joke. You know, every joke has a kernel of truth to it. And so we, we need to be reaching out to the children of this community. And if we don't have someone to step up and to lead on Sunday nights, maybe we need somebody else to step up and lead the adults so I can go help over there. Do that. Because we must be reaching out to children. We've been talking about evangelism on Sunday nights, but instead of talking about it, let's actually do it by reaching out to the kids in our community. Why am I so adamant about this? Well, look what Jesus told his disciples here. He says, Let the children come to me. Don't stop them. Don't hinder them. Don't prevent them from coming to me. And by not having anything for children, and by not running the vans, I think we're acting like the disciples here. Not intentionally, but we're, we're hindering children getting to Jesus. So we must stop hindering them getting to Jesus and return to bringing them to Jesus. And the coming of these babies to Jesus is so important that not doing so made Jesus angry. Preventing them from getting to him made Jesus angry, and we don't want to make Jesus angry. We want him to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. But notice the, verse, the end of verse 14 and why this is important. He says, Don't stop them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. The kingdom of God belongs to such as these. The kingdom of God belongs to the babies and to the little children. They have a special part in God's kingdom. They belong to it, and so by nature, it belongs to them. Nothing here is said about the parents' faith. Nothing here is said about baptism. Nothing here is said about circumcision or any other rite or ritual. Jesus' word here is for the babies and for all the babies. He says they all belong to God's kingdom. Babies, before they reach a, a certain point in time where they are able to understand enough to make a decision, they're under a special kind of grace, special divine care, 
They have a place in God's kingdom. Now, does that mean that babies and, and little children are without sin? No. Not at all. Scripture makes it clear that we are all born sinners, and anyone who's been around a child for any amount of time quickly learns that they are little sinners, little, little heathens. They act sinful, they act selfish by nature. They are not just precious little angels. Believe me, I have had 80 kindergartners in a PE class. They're not all great. They are all morally corrupt and and bent towards sin, just like we all are. And Scripture says that the wages of sin is death. And we know that little children die. In fact, we had a, a family that uh, we, we know through another family that uh, just had a, had a baby that was born about two weeks and passed away. And the family is right now struggling with that. Children die because of corruption of sin. And infants, if left to, to grow, they grow to become corrupt adults. We're all corrupt adults. But Jesus says in their early years, children are not responsible for their spiritual lives because they, they don't know enough to make the decision between right and wrong. And so they're under God's special grace and they belong to God until such a time that they're mature enough to be able to make a decision of whether to accept or reject Christ. And, and we don't know what age that is. It's different for each individual. And, and some that have like mental deficiencies or, or something like that may never get to the point where they're able to understand. It's not that they are saved. It's not that they've been granted eternal life. It's that Jesus holds them in a separate state of grace that's until their age of accountability. And so that's good news for the youngest ones. And that's a great comfort to those who've, who've lost a young child. But what, what about those that reach maturity? What about those who reach that age of accountability? What of them? Well, most children can understand the gospel. Most children can understand the essentials. Most children can understand that they are sinners, that they've disobeyed God just like they've disobeyed their parents. They can understand that Jesus died on the cross to take the punishment for their sins. They can understand that, that God raised Jesus up from the dead after three days in the grave. They can understand that Jesus will save them if they ask Him. In fact, if I, I think this, if our children can learn multiplication tables beginning in the third grade, they can understand that Jesus loves you and died for you and rose from the grave for you. I know I made that decision when I was six years old. Chelsea made her decision when she was about seven. Both of our older two kids made it around five, six, seven years old. And psychologist and author James Dobson said, we must make the salvation of our children the number one priority, because nothing else is more important. And so we can't just sit back and, and hope that our, our children and our, and our grandchildren and the children in our Sunday school classes and the children in our community will just come to trust in Jesus. We must be actively engaging them with the gospel. We must be actively evangelizing them. But not only that, to some extent, we have to learn from them. We have to learn from them. Look at verse 15. 
He says, I assure you, whoever does not welcome the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. We have to come to Jesus like a child. Each and every adult has to learn how to come to Christ appropriately. For anyone to come to Christ, you have to come like a child, Jesus said. And as I said earlier, human children are are completely useless. They can do nothing. They can't walk. They can't feed themselves. They're not, not competent to provide anything for their own. They're completely dependent on their parents or their caregivers for every need. They can't do anything for themselves. They don't work for their food. They don't work even for the love of their parents. It's just something that we give freely. And I think this is a great illustration of how anyone gets into the kingdom of God. Because it's only by God's grace. It's not by any kind of human achievement. We've achieved no more in our salvation than what an infant can achieve in anything. It is solely a gift of God's grace. Something that we can't earn and something that we didn't earn. It's only by trusting in Jesus. Jesus is the one who has done everything for us. He is the one who lived a perfect life. He is the one who never sinned at all. He is the one who willingly went to the cross to die as a substitute for you. He is the one who died a cruel death on the cross. He is the one who was buried in a tomb for three days. He is the one who was raised up from the grave by the power of God. And it is only through faith and trust in Jesus that you can enter into the kingdom of God. Jesus did the work just like parents do all the work for the infants. And so Jesus, I think, reacted so strongly to his disciples' rebuke of these people who were bringing the children to him because his disciples clearly didn't understand how the kingdom of God worked. The only way that anyone can get into the kingdom of God is to become like a child, simple, open, unpretentious, weak, lacking any achievement, trusting in Christ alone, in humility, and totally dependent upon Him. You must have a childlike faith to be saved. Jesus told His disciples in the next passage, He talks about the rich young ruler, and He says that it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Why is that? Well, because rich people are generally not humble. Rich people tend to depend on their their works. I I built my wealth by by grabbing my own bootstraps and pulling myself up. Uh, They they may be dependent on their wealth because they're dependent on something besides Jesus. So they're often proud. They're often self-reliant. It's difficult for them to become poor in spirit and to depend on Jesus for salvation. But Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to them. And so my question for you this morning is, have you humbled yourself and have you trusted in Jesus with a faith like that of a child for your salvation? If not, 
then you can understand that you're a sinner, that you've done something wrong against God. You've, we've all rejected him, and you can understand that Jesus is the one who did all the work for you. Jesus is the one who takes care of it. There's nothing that you can do because Jesus has already done it all. And Scripture says that if you confess Jesus is God and believe that he was raised from the dead, you will be saved. And if you do that, if you would like to do that, and you've never done that, here in just a moment we're going to have a time of response to, to the Word of God. We'll all stand and have a time of invitation. And if you need to make that decision today, I, I invite you to come down when we do that and come talk with me. And I would love to, to spend some time sharing the gospel with you and leading you in that decision. But first, we need to see how this story ends. Look with me at verse 16. After taking them, that is the children, <coughs> in his arms, he laid his hands on them and blessed them. We need to let Jesus hold the children. We need to let Jesus hold his children. Mark is the only one who records this part. Of all the three recorded instances, this is the only one that has this part. Jesus took the children and he held them and he blessed them. And Once again, the Greek language expresses the intensity of this much better than the English does. Jesus blessed them fervently. He took time with them. He held each one. He, he prayed with each one of them. He held them in his hands. He laid hands upon them. Jesus demonstrated his heart for the children with his hands. He spent time with these who had no ability to serve him. He spent time with them even though they could do nothing in return. They had nothing to give him, but that was perfectly fine because he had everything to give them. And I think this is a great reminder for the church because here's the reality. Children are resource hogs. Children are resource hogs. They require much and they don't give anything back. And this causes some to view them as a burden instead of a blessing. But we must remember who we are in Christ. We are children in Christ. We can't give Jesus anything that he needs because he needs nothing. But he gives us everything, including his love. And all that we can do in return is to give him love back. And we must do the same for the children of this community. We must love them like Jesus loves them. Now, some people are concerned with child evangelism because they're afraid that, uh, that there's going to be false professions of faith, that they're not going to understand enough, that, that they will grow up in the church and then leave because they, they were never really one of us, that, that they will become apostates. But the, real, the reality is the same is true no matter the age of a person. You never know. In fact, Jesus said, that when, when you're sowing the gospel, there's four different soils. You never know what kind of soil that seed's going to land in. You don't know what kind of soil that child's going to be. You don't know what kind of soil that adult's going to be. They may accept the gospel and, and grow up in it quickly. They may allow the, the cares and concerns of this world to overtake them and choke them out. But that is not up to us. 
the reality is that we don't know what kind of soil someone's going to be, and our job is simply to spread the seed. But I think there's a great blessing for us in this verse here. For just as we trust Christ for our salvation, we must trust Him with our children. The people trusted Jesus with their children. And He took them and He held them in His arms and He blessed them. And we must let Jesus be the one to hold them and sustain them in their faith. We can pray for them. Ultimately, the children belong to the Lord. So we must let Him hold them. So, last week we saw the children are a heritage of the Lord. And tonight, today we see that Christ loves them very much, and we must learn to see them as children, as children as Jesus does, with great love. And that love will motivate us to bring children to Jesus and not to hinder them from Him. We must let Jesus hold them. And if you're here today, and you haven't come to Jesus with the faith of a child, Today is the day of salvation for you. Let's pray and then we'll have a time of...